With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelzolo back here with Sam Monson. And we've got a great show of all sorts of fun stuff here today. Wow. Great show. Okay. Fun stuff. Cool. I just, I love when people ask about big time throws. Nah. And we get to explain big time throws. That's the highlight of today. You actually, you know, you put that in the title. Yeah. It's going to attract it. a lot of people. <clears throat> see how we have to explain it because you named it so badly? What do you mean? It's pretty self-explanatory. I'm just saying. If it it's was, a big time throw. If it was wow throws, we wouldn't have to explain anything. We'll talk about the Packers. Can they sustain their run? We'll discuss a little uh, Monday Night Football, the football team's victory over the Seattle Seahawks. We'll preview Thursday Night Football, Saints Cowboys, and of course run through some uh, some new charity ideas because you guys have been so good at uh, helping us out and donating to the various charities and the various events that we've had. So we're uh, we're on to the next one. Yeah, we're up over twelve thousand dollars in total raised throughout the, what have we done now, four of these things, charity drives? yeah. So we're 12,100 and something. It's about 3,000 per. It is, yeah. roughly. Yeah. I haven't run the numbers. But th- that's insane. Like 12 grand you guys have raised. When we first started this, my, you know, in my head goal was if we could raise 10 grand in a calendar year, that would be pretty cool. That would be an awesome thing to be able to do from the podcast. We did the first one in like the end of June, start of July. So we've yeah. half that time and we're 12 grand, not 10. So... You guys have been amazing. Like, this would not have been possible, obviously, without any of you donating. And, you know, we get to do vaguely stupid things and earn money, not earn money from it, generate money that we give to charities. And some of the ideas are getting uh, a little more extreme as we go here. Yeah, there's a lot of people. So a lot of people seem to be very keen on us running some kind of combine between the two of us, including some poor guy who wanted us to, like, me and you on the bench, like bench pressing is not a fair contest. You outweigh me by like a million pounds. You have a significant strength advantage. You're on saying a, I have the advantage yes. bench pressing? Yes. I've got like 36-inch arms. Are you kidding me? I have long arms as well, and I'm a lot smaller than you. No, I don't. 
I don't have any advantage there. Bench pressing. I think you'll find you do. I also, you know, as a pitcher, which I used to be. You don't you bench know, press because that will ruin we the didn't mechanics. Bench press. <laughs> I worked out with all those NFL combine guys during bench press time. I was doing like push-ups. You know, it was simple yeah. body weight stuff. Can you do a push-up? At the moment? Yeah, right now. You probably do one. You probably knock one out. Obviously, like, uh, this is for charity, maybe. You know, for, for charity. You're saying there's some space down there I can in the, do one right now. Yeah, it's, it's off camera, at least, so it's not that embarrassing. <laughs> I could do a push up. I think more than one, it'd be, uh, it'd be challenging right now. Okay. I'm not built, that, that's the thing. I'm not built for, even in, my, even in my heyday, could I do push ups? Sure, but like, it's not my thing. Like, with the long arms. <laughs> Yeah, Not look, easy. you keep. I I have long arms as well, and I well, like. I'm You're significantly short. less. You know, there's a lot less of me to push around than you. Um, one guy gave us a, an idea, which I kind of like actually. We had this thing recently about how you, you know, we were one part of our cell for the X chair guys. By the way, some of you bought one. Good, good work. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, that was great. Keep going. Part of our sell on the X chair is how easy it was to put together to the point where even you could manage it because you are that inept at putting things together. So somebody suggested that you should assemble a piece of furniture for the PFF office, and that could be what we do. I think if we got like like something for, like ridiculous from IKEA, like a random piece yeah. of IKEA crap that I took the instructions away from and just said go. I can't take the instructions. Not, not that the instructions are that much better. They have like the little <laughs> stick figures there, and it's like, oh, do this thing, and it, it's in Swedish, like, and it's just, not it's something a whole really complicated, you know, where you've just got no shot without the instructions. But like, like a small desk, you know, and you just take away the instructions, and then see, all right, go nuts. This does not sound. How long will it take? Look, there's IKEA. I, I de- is honestly I, is IKEA a future sponsor? Because I'm about to. Go to town on Ikea. <laughs> the, the single worst part about that, I don't have any sympathy for you who would spend the rest of the day trying to put something together. But the poor video guy that would have to take 18 hours of footage and edit it together to make it look like it didn't take a week and a half, that would be rough. <sighs> While you mentioned X-Chair, we should mention their deal right now. The, I think the reason why we did have some people buy this week, we got word, because it's $500 off. Working from home is more important than ever right now and optimizing your home office with an X-Chair or... There are many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Sounds like a really good idea to me. Once you feel the customized support of the X-Chair's patented DVL, that's the Dynamic Variable Lumbar, there's no going back. You got the LMX Massage and Temperature Regulation exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. I love mine. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. And it's the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair because why? As I said earlier, now's the only time X-Chair goes on sale all year. That's right. Only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. So you save up to $500 on X-Chair, four days only. Oh, shoot, is it over right now? I hope it's not over. <laughs> we should still send you over there. Still go over there and see if it's still available. Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Uh, we've extended it. I hope X-Chair does too. XChairNFLPod.com. That's where you're going to go. Letter X, Chair, N-F-L-P-O-D.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $25 a month. Go to XChairNFLPod.com. Save up to $500, I hope. <laughs> xchairnflpod.com if you're watching on youtube we got and if all it's not if it's not 500 and if they've ended that it's at least our, 100 yes our it's link at will at least, at least get you 100 off there. in addition do the 30-day money-back guarantee the free shipping all these kinds of things so go to our link buy the x chair they are ridiculously comfortable and yet we are still perched on these ridiculous bar stools in here because because this desk is really we high. need x chair to get us one more just like the uh is there a bar stool x chair Barstool extra. They have that crazy looking like spaceship pod that looks pretty yeah. cool. We didn't get those. We can we, yeah, can we get one of those? How much are they? I haven't checked. 
I have not checked. Pull up that. the website. Find out how much the uh, the pod costs because that thing looks pretty badass. Why does this guy want us to do a podcast in full clown outfits, makeup, and all? That's that's no fun for anybody. I mean, Maybe it's probably for fun for some people. There's a lot of people that there's like an actual phobia that people have about clowns, right? We might freak some people out if we do that. I, I thought a fun one a couple years ago. Remember the the Dallas radio folks oh, that, that we thing. were. Look. Oh, that thing looks ridiculous. I'm guessing that's not cheap. I don't know like if that's it. a part of the $500 off. I don't know either. But wow. uh, oh, yeah, there you go. Shop now. Let's see. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I mean, $500 off 6500 Get this for a cool six grand. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. XJRNFLPod.com. Right. Yes. Uh, the the folks from uh, one of the Dallas radio stations a couple years ago, remember the guy lost a bet and he had to wear like a full football uniform the entire week at the Super Bowl yeah. at right, on Radio Row. I feel like something like that could be good. Since we're two to two right now, it wouldn't be like, oh, it's got to be Steve, it's got to be Sam. Maybe it ends up being a bet. You're, you're a big, let's do a bet, and loser does something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That could be the next. That could be the next thing. There, or some, maybe we both compete. For, you know, we have like competing charities. Yeah, there are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot like of people that. that are suggesting some form of competition version, yeah. which is, I think, is fair. Um, some people have suggested that you should try and field punts in a full uniform. I kind of like that. I think I that's think that pretty funny. Be, so we just. We, call the Bengals and right. just go down to the can stadium. we borrow your punter and your stadium? Yeah. I mean, if we can get into the University of Cincinnati, I'm <clears> sure we UC, can get in. Yeah. We, 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 we can go to UC, UC as well. Um, so Andre that, loved us. Andre loved letting us in <laughs> 5 o'clock on a Friday night. <laughs> We're sorry, Andre. Uh, I think that would be pretty funny. Um, a lot of people also want to see a repeat of uh, me covering you playing football to basically prove that you're kind of like going out on top of that's that what one. i'm saying to there prove was, that your one-off lucky shot was a there's video lucky footage shot. of me torching you for yeah. 50 plus yards uh-huh great throw some guy yeah, i don't want to get bruce down here and he's probably so inaccurate right now throwing oh, me you yeah. you you of all yeah. people are going to be the person criticizing throwing accuracy based right. off the video evidence that we just had yeah that's correct. of you not being able to get it near the plate because i know what it's like when you haven't played in a few years uh-huh and i don't want to you know I, want, I don't want bruce to go through that embarrassment either wow wow Wow. Also, some other guy said that based off the video of, you know, our stare down where it's like. Yeah. He said based off that, he withdraws his uh, request that the challenge be an Oklahoma drill between the two of us. <laughs> I find that personally insulting. I think I would be fine with an Oklahoma I, again, drill. Again, maybe he's you. saying that because low man wins and pad he, level. He's saving you is yes. what you're saying. Okay, yes. fair pad enough. Pad level would, would not be in my favor and that could hurt. I would have – I. There are a lot of people that I would not want to have any part of tackling. You're not one of them. I, I don't, I'm not, I have no problem with that. I'm okay. Uh, these are, these are fun. So yes, oh, there's the stare down. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma drill wouldn't be good. And look, people are also taking this to be like, I'm four foot two. I am 5'11 in height. You just happen to be freakishly proportioned. 6'10. 6'10. Allegedly. With that Don Sutton hair. Yeah. Broken through. So this is not a reflection of my height. This is a reflection of your height, which doesn't necessarily come across on the in this podcast studio where we're both sitting on bar stools. <laughs> so keep uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. So yep. Keep emailing us and uh, love the suggestions. And again, we've got uh, it was two emails that have uh, gotten the wheels turning for us and fueled this episode here today. Right? Today, yeah. Um, so let's let's go back to Monday Night Football first, and then we'll get to those. We'll get to some of those emails. All right. Sound good? Yep. So Washington Football Team seventeen to fifteen. Over the Seattle Seahawks, the Seahawks offense only scored those 13 points because yep. they had a, a kick two, a return for two points on a blocked extra point. The football team's rolling as you as you called yes. earlier in the year. They're making their uh, they're making their Super Bowl push here. Sam. Exactly as I predicted. You know, a late season run with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, 
all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, admittedly, the Taylor Heineke thing started earlier than I'd anticipated. I think I predicted that happening in the wild card round or maybe week 17 or something. He's been in there since, what, week two? So it's been that part has been earlier. But other than that, it's right on track. All I need now is for them to win out, and we're good. They are currently the number seven seed. Is that correct? I think I said that uh, the other day. They're, they're, they would win the tiebreaker at the moment. Right. Um, <clears throat> they don't have the best odds, I don't believe, on PFF.com as far as making it. But the football team has had this. They're getting better, though, obviously. Yeah. It, look, they started two and six last year as well. Remember, they started out slow. They beat the Steelers on like the Tuesday or Wednesday night game, whatever it was, because of COVID. We currently have them with a 34% chance of making the playoffs. They have them with a 16% chance of winning the division still. So there's still a chance because of all those division games that you've cited here a few times. Mm-hmm. And the football team has had this knack. Remember, this this started two weeks ago with uh, their win over the Tampa Bay Bucks, where they get the ball in the fourth quarter with a one-score lead, and they run the rest of the clock out. A 10-minute drive. And they were doing similar stuff against Seattle. They had multiple eight-plus-minute drives. They are getting into this groove of like, if I need a five-yard pass, I'm going to make a five-yard pass. And, 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 and also from a run game perspective, just picking up what they need. Really impressive how the football team has played in shorten, shortening games in that way. And look, the PFF Power Rankings, which you can find on the website, um, pff.com, you go to the, the betting tab up top, and then the drop down there will give you Power Rankings. Those are based off 10,000 simulations of the season from here on in, right? I have done my own simulation. Of course. Singular. You updated this. Yes. Where, you know, you go through and you pick all the games week by week, how you think they're going to go, and then it spits you out what's going to happen at the end of it. Of course. I have Washington making the playoffs in my simulation. So, you know, 30, whatever it was, percent. It's 100% in your simulation. It's 33% in PFFs. It's somewhere between the 30% and the 100%. Of course. Which means they're definitely making the playoffs. I had them making the playoffs at 9-8 and with the seventh seed. I, I trust your view. And they can do that, I think, whilst losing to Dallas. So they don't even need to do anything crazy for that to happen. Well, I, I trust your, your assessment here. So I, I mean, look. Whatever you've got going here. The man with the simulation is the one that's always right. And, and I, I have a simulation. I mean, you don't have a simulation. I do not. So what would you know? I should go run and uh, I'll, I'll go do the simulation as well. Okay. Uh, anyway, Taylor Heineke playing a cleaner brand of football in recent weeks. They're, they're running the ball extremely well. The offensive line has been fantastic this year, and they've, yeah. they've dealt with some injuries. They were down to a third-string center the other night after Wes uh, Schweitzer got hurt. Chase Rulli has been out for the season, but uh, Eric Flowers, Charles Leno, Brandon Sheriff, Cornelius Lucas, uh, all playing pretty well, and that has been the strength of this team. And I, I keep going back to uh, Ron Rivera as well. I don't think – it's tough to pinpoint coaches who are like legitimate difference difference makers we might have a bunch who are just young and they're they're at the start of their career Ron Rivera kind of has a history of elevating his teams and that yeah. was one of the reasons why I liked the football team and wasn't I was surprised at last year's run but I think when you went back and looked at last year's run you said okay he made this not so talented looking football team literally football team uh look much better and, and elevated them and I think we're starting to see the Ron Rivera influence as well in this little three-game stretch that they're on yeah, and, and the other thing is that the defense is not as catastrophic as it was earlier in the season, uh, where they were giving up a big play every week. Much like big the plays. Chiefs. So like, is, is, should we have just known, hey, this can't be, they can't be this bad for well, this we, long? I think we did. We, we cited cert- that a lot. We yeah. certainly said it with the Chiefs that, hey, look, they have faced a gauntlet of really good offenses, and they're not as bad as they look. Um, I think the same thing was true with Washington, that they were, there were a lot of numbers that suggested that their defense 
should not possibly be as bad as it was. And at some point, it will get slightly better than that. The question is how much. So Washington's defense making steps in the right direction is important. Taylor Heineke playing slightly better is important. Um, And then playing Russell Wilson with mallet finger was also quite important. I do feel like the mallet finger shows up when he tries to zip it. You think? Yeah. You're telling me that having a bolt taken out of his finger like a couple of weeks ago will actually affect the way he throws the football. Now, his, is his finger injury worse than, say, the thumb that Drew Brees had last year? And then who else had one? Uh, which other quarterback just had one this year? Had an issue with their hand uh, and missed time and has come back. I just I don't know why I can't remember off the top of my head. But someone else just dealt with that, right? Not mallet finger exactly, but uh, a finger injury that has affected them. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I mean, Russ's decision-making – uh, bad turnover-worthy play over the middle of the field yesterday or, or Monday night. I, I'm trying to figure out how much, how much is all. Uh, Tua had a finger injury a couple weeks ago, so it wasn't as bad. Didn't have surgery, but he's come back and you know completed a bunch of passes. Uh, how much of we 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 don't really know what Seattle is in this new offense, right? Because before Russ got hurt, he was grading pretty well, but the offense was really really dependent on these big throws. Like if you used EPA in a vacuum. They were, I think, one of the more efficient offenses in the league. But if you looked at the number of plays with positive EPA, again, that's expected points added. It's basically, is it a successful play or not? Their successful play rate was low, but overall EPA was high, which suggests there's a bunch of deep passes and big plays that are skewing the numbers here, which, is, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it's like that's going to regress a little bit. So I, I don't know what this Shane Waldron offense is yet either. And I think they've been a little bit too either big play dependent and the underneath stuff or the intermediate stuff, really, that 10 to 19 range has not been great for Seattle. So I, I also don't know if we have enough answers there combined with over the last three weeks, yeah, Russ is recovering from the, the finger injury. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think all, those, all that is true. But this idea of, you know, Wilson, <laughs> Wilson ranking is one of the greatest healers in the history of anything uh, might not be that true. Like, you I, he documented his injury, right, with his own, like, video team and all this kind of stuff. And there were some fairly graphic images of exactly what was involved in this this finger recovery. And there were, like, pieces of metal inserted into this finger in a fairly structural-looking way that were eventually, you know, removed. And then, oh, he's good to go now. I, I mean, it, this is your throwing hand with that kind of degree of invasive procedure involved. I can only imagine you would struggle throwing the ball the way you used to for years whilst recovering for that. So I think Wilson, it's going to take him a while to get back to where he was. And it's one of those things where it might not, you know, show up every single snap and it doesn't doesn't necessarily explain. It's harder to imagine how a hurt finger can lead to you making dumb decisions. But I think when it's something that you now, something you've never had to think about before is suddenly there in the periphery of everything you do it makes the other things worse. So, so as a big throw-it-out guy, yeah. are you throwing this out? For what purposes? Evaluating, I, I think there are some serious questions about the future of the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, from, a, from a front office standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from a Russell Wilson standpoint, they, they right now, they have the fourth overall pick in the draft. But wait, they don't. They traded it for Jamal Adams. Oh. It's the Jets. Right, they would have the fourth overall pick right now, which they could really use about now. Which they could really use right now, and uh, so I think there are some serious questions about Russ, the quarterback, too. So even if you want to throw out the three mallet finger games, go back to Week Nine of last year because we love, we also love that too. Hard cutoffs. 
Russ goes from this 95 overall grade through the first eight weeks of 2020, drops off from week nine through the playoffs with a 70 grade. He, I mean, he was a he was number 20th. Uh, let me add the playoffs in here, actually. Uh, the number 19 graded quarterback last year from week nine through the end of the season. Add in early this season where he did play well, as, but he's still barely a top 15 quarterback from a grading standpoint. Is that a concern? Because I think Seattle's been great in part because he's been able to elevate a team that has slowly, slowly, slowly been depleted from a roster standpoint over the years. He's gone back to being the Russell Wilson from before the kind of two-year stretch where he was like one of the top two or three. Remember there was that yeah. there was that couple of year period where he elevated his game and he went from being really good to literally as good as any quarterback in the NFL. Um, before that, he was hovering like he had that his very first grade was a 90 in 2012, his rookie year, which is insane, right? A rookie quarterback rating at 90. Um, but then, like, the next, what, three, four, five years were more or less between, more or less around 80, between 83, 78, or 74.5. That was his kind of level, which is really good. It's a, a good place to be, but it's not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, those kinds of guys. And then 2018, that jumped up to 89. 2019, it was 92. 2020, 90.5. As you said, that was very much a first half of the season was incredible. Second half of the season, pretty crappy. And then this year, we're back down to that 74 level. And the 74 includes mallet finger, you know, where he hasn't been playing as well. So effectively, what you're looking at is Russell Wilson has gone back to being the guy he was before that two and a half year stretch where he was as good as any quarterback in the league but last year in 10 games it was a 72.5 that's what i'm saying yeah it's like a split so it's two and a half seasons where he was as good as anything and then last year the second half of the season and this year he's gone back to being the guy that he was hey guys life is full of questions like what would happen to my family if something happened to me am i saving enough for retirement and is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance just to name a few No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. The other interesting point here with Russell Wilson is we've we've tried to explain away here on the podcast for years why don't people uh, why doesn't Seattle trust Russell Wilson right why don't they trust him as much why don't they let Russ cook that was the big tagline last year why aren't they throwing the ball forty or fifty times instead of establishing the run and working play action and we've heard through the years to you know you you don't know what you're going to get from him on a week-to-week basis if you're the offensive coordinator. Now, I thought there was a stretch where that was much better, but I'm talking about seeing the field, decision-making on underneath stuff, taking the easy stuff. In a play-action-driven system where it's like two, two deep route concepts, pick one, you know, hit a guy and stride down the field, Russ is as good as it gets. But when you're not as protected in that, in that sense, you're, he's far less consistent, right? And, and again, he's not bad necessarily, but I don't think it's as clean as telling him, go play like Brady, go play like Breeze, go play like Rodgers, be the guy, take over the game, it's all going to run through you. We've seen it in individual games here and there, but 
not consistently enough. So I bring all that up to say, you know, if he ended up in Washington or Denver or Houston or whatever next year, Miami, what are they going to get? You know, is, is Pete Carroll the guy that's been able to foster that relationship of Russ and whoever the offensive coordinator is and getting the most out of him? Will other, it's, I, I'm trying to position this the right way. Will other teams know how to use him? Will they know what they're getting into? Is Russ as hot of a commodity? Our uh, friend Kev Cole on uh, Unexpected Points has been tweeting this week. Is Russ a, as big of a commodity as Matthew Stafford? on the which I, don't, which I think is a crazy question on the surface because I think Russ has had a much better career. But given the downturn right here, would NFL teams covet Russell Wilson as much as they would covet Matthew or did covet Matthew Stafford last year? Yeah, I think it's a reasonable question. Like, there's we'll spend always, a lot of offseason time talking about it, of course. There's always been an element that um, the, the narrative, the dynamic has always been portrayed as Russell Wilson is like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and this like idiot Pete Carroll has been dragging him down and not just letting him cook and not turning the ball over to him and saying, go win us the games, trying to like hold him back and you know drag him down with the run game and all these kinds of things. I think there's always been an element to which that was – definitely not a fair characterization of that relationship and there's definitely a degree to which Russell Wilson not Russell Wilson doesn't help Russell Wilson as much as he could you know and that idea of when you let Andrew Luck when you know Andrew Luck was this quarterback who put everything on his shoulders tried to make a hero play every single time and his career was kind of characterized by putting out the fire that he himself started earlier in the day you know which is it's better than letting the house burn down, but it's probably not as good as the guy that never set fire to the curtains in the first place. Um, I think there's an element to which Russell Wilson, if so when the Colts eventually helped him out and said, hey, look, Andrew, you're going to be, you're going to get the ball out of your hands quicker. We're going to give you a bunch of free, easy plays. And, you know, when things go to hell, you can still make the house saving, you know, put out the fire kind of deal later on. And he was way better. Like that was the best Andrew luck. I think there's a degree to which Russell Wilson skews in that direction not quite the same style but doesn't won't take the kind of easy things a lot of the time and won't just take the you know you, you never go broke taking a profit kind of attitude and that always tries to play hero ball and that i think is part of this don't let russ cook kind of thing that has been happening is some of that is on russell wilson and i suspect that if he ends up going somewhere else or they blow it up or whatever like we're probably going to see that that it doesn't all go away if you just separate Russell Wilson from Pete Carroll. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Patrick in the YouTube comments suggests that the Giants will overpay for Russ. I mean, the the Giants are an interesting spot because I think I think Russell Wilson is. Um, there are a lot of quarterbacks who are very aware of their brand and their legacy. He sounds like I mean, Tom Brady clearly cares about his. He has a legitimate brand called yes. TB12, right? He cares about his brand and his legacy. And I thought Kirk Cousins, when he was a free agent a couple of years ago, made a very calculated decision to play in a dome with good receivers and all this stuff. Russ seems like he'd be very calculated in that respect. And big city, bright lights. And, uh, hey, I've played behind a bad offensive line before. They, uh, you know, they can, they can reconstruct that in front of my eyes. But there's some good playmakers there. I think the Giants would be an intriguing team yeah. for, uh, for Russell Wilson. Uh, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but then you have a team. You have a team like the Browns, who are in the middle of uh, Andrew Barry, their general manager, with some. This is like your boss basically coming out saying, you "Got an important few weeks here. You got a very important few weeks here, son. If you want to get paid, we need you to play through injury, Baker, and, and, and play well." I mean, the Browns. Uh, it, there are a lot of teams that might have decisions to make on Daniel Jones in New York, on Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. And if Russ is out there, as much as we're saying, oh, is it over in Seattle? 
other teams would be sprinting to be uh, to line up to get Russell Wilson. Yeah, some very pointed comments from Andrew Barry, which is why I've been saying for a while that if you're Baker Mayfield and you want to maximize the contract that you're going to receive next, you should shut yourself down. Oh, you're because, crazy. You're crazy. Because that's part of the evaluation. Because Andrew's also saying you got to play hurt. You're 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 healthy enough to play. Play through it. Lead us to victories. Yeah, but he isn't healthy enough to play. Like that's the thing. He's been cleared to play, so he's that's healthy different. enough to play. Like being have a, a doctor being prepared to sign off on the risk of you going out there and, and playing with a wrecked shoulder <laughs> is different to I am healthy enough to go out there and play well, which is the bottom line here. Like Baker Mayfield could easily be shut down for the season to get his repair, repair a torn labrum. In his and nobody, throwing shoulder. And nobody gonna, would bat an eyelid. It's gonna, no, they would. It's going to come really across. Would. It now would they would. If he went, like he was protecting himself for his contract. Which would be entirely fair from his point of view. Like, why should he be expected to play like crap for the next, what is it, 14 games from when he injured that thing so that you can get a cheaper contract out of him and maybe have a better chance to win versus Case Keenum and absolutely torpedo the poor guy's next contract. Like, why is that fair? How does that? How is that the bargain here? He is. He's wrecked his shoulder. He's got multiple other injuries he's dealing with, and every game he plays takes a zero off the end of the contract he's receiving. It's ridiculous. He should shut himself down and say, "I'm. I mean, I was prepared to give it a shot as long as we were going to be fair about this. But if you're saying not only do I expect you to go out there and play hurt, but I expect you to go out there and play well hurt." Otherwise, we're not interested in future. Like, what kind of crap is that? Because Andrew Berry's also out there saying, hey, nobody's healthy here in December. And the expectation is... Sure, but there are, there are guys out there significantly more healthy than the dude who has but a fully torn labrum at his shoulder. Maybe, so maybe next year he doesn't have a fully torn labrum, but he's got other injuries that he's got to play through. You still have that expectation that he can go out there and play. And clearly the Browns are looking at him saying, we think... 75% of Baker Mayfield's better than Case Keenum, or at least we have to believe that, so we're going to roll with you. You know, that part, it's part of the job, being able to play through that. Didn't Brady have like a torn MCL or something last year and led the Bucks to the Super Bowl? He could have shut it down too. There's plenty of quarterbacks that have been shut down for less injuries than what Baker's dealing with right now. All I'm saying is you have your GM, the guy that you're negotiating with, which is probably part of this, by the way. You have your GM essentially coming out here and saying what you're doing right now for our benefit is costing you money with this next contract. That, that's a pretty tough thing to be dealing with in addition to just trying to get ready for the next game and being better than you were last time. I think the dude for his own benefit should shut himself down, but he isn't. He's not that kind of player. He's clearly going to grit himself out or grit it out and play through it and cost himself a lot of cash. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I don't know that you're necessarily wrong in that whatever happens in these next few games will will determine a lot of this. But absolutely, the Browns are going to be looking at all available options, which may well include Russell Wilson. It may. It's going to be a fun offseason because of all that stuff. I need this plug plugged in. Something not plugged in here? Who knows? I don't want my computer to die on me. It would be a shame. Anyway, football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game but with the latest new brain, no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So all you have to do... Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any team to score 
and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Sam, we, we're going to have... If your uh, computer dies, then you won't have the ad reads, and I'll have to do them. So all of a sudden, I don't want your computer to yeah. die either. Open up that doc just in case. Yeah. Uh, the only other one we have is Cyber 40. 40% oh, off. We're good. I can do so that. So that's one. easy enough, right? I, just I tell people going. we have 40% off on PFF subscriptions over at PFF.com. That's all you have to do. An email came in, by the way, while we've been live um, from Jeremy hmm, Roll. Roel. Uh, this is an idea that might get you, uh, you know, killed. Uh, Steve has to stand on a busy street corner in Cincinnati during rush hour for 15 minutes wearing the PFF Gardner Minshew shirt and telling passersby some of your favorite phrases like, hey, let's all creep back toward average and throw the damn ball. <laughs> I, that feels like, you know, how you end up with video evidence of Steve's murder. You know, I think he's suggesting I'm on the sidewalk, right? Not in the, yes. not like yeah, in yeah. the middle of a crosswalk right. or something. Like, you know, one of those people with the big signs that goes yeah. walking, you know. So if you get me... Get a big PFF NFL podcast Billboard, sign yeah. with our logo on it, with our heads, and I'll flip it around and you know honk for the PFF NFL podcast, and I'm just going to yell catchphrases at them. Yeah, but he he suggested you join me too and say you're you're, you're yeah. Joe Flacco, right? I'm going to choose to ignore Joe that part. Yeah, he wants yeah. you there too. Ah, uh, yeah, but I think I think it'd be funnier just to see you in a big sandwich. You'll just yell thing. out fundamentally, mm. right? Yeah. Or did you cut that out of your? You cut that out recently. I mean, I've been trying to. I don't know yeah. how successful it's been. So we'll just go with all of our catchphrases. That wouldn't be bad. That's I mean, not a bad one. Be good for the podcast, too. I mean, look, it's your, your bodily harm you're risking, and I'm okay with that. So I'm, I'm at least on, a, on the sidewalk, right? Flipping this on. You're also large. You've got that, like, intimidation factor for the people that don't like big people. You know? Yeah. There's like a, there's a I'm swathe. I'm big. Of, you don't think they'll run me over because I'm big? I'm just saying there's a sway of society that would not engage you in, in physical pain because of your size right immediately so you, you cut out a chunk of those people that if you were a small person they would immediately come and slap you in the head well, there's a lot of people who might just think uh, they like to f- they like to fight the big guy i thought you were saying That's i was going to get run over but then it's no. like okay you don't want to like run your car into a moose you might damage the car <laughs> so you might i might have that going for me nobody wants to run me over they might damage the car so you know yeah i hadn't actually i hadn't I hadn't compared you to a moose before but it's actually oddly fitting no, i'm creeping back toward toward yeah. moose size right now in my uh, as i head into my 40s uh, you want to read these emails yeah let's go what do we got steve okay. from buffalo are you gonna read this uh sure yes so steve from buffalo is the guy that essentially wants you to explain what in god's name you're talking about when you say big time throws uh and turnover worthy plays for that matter he really likes some stats but he has a few questions is a big-time throw any skillful throw? Does the situation matter? Um, an 11-yard completion on first and 10 the first quarter is different than an 11-yard TD throw to clinch a game or even an 11-yard down to continue a game-winning drive, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm going to edit some of these on the fly. Uh, are there ever any big-time throws or are there ever any big-time throws on turnover-worthy plays? A ball goes through the hands of a DB for a big play. Does a turnover-worthy play only occur when a defender drops an interception or a fumble recovered by the fumbling team? Uh, so let's cover that part as well. He also has a second part that's an interesting, different question, but let's cover this one. So what is a, what is a big-time throw, yeah. essentially? And a turnover-worthy um, play. 
Okay, so it all starts with the PFF grading system, which is always minus two to plus two on every single play. Um, and I know we've explained some of this before, but it's always good to, to rehash it. Um, we have a very specific rubric for what a 0.5 looks like. So um, in our, you know, when somebody's trained up, you know, you've obviously been trained up and I've been trained up and we can go to Ben Stockwell and we can go to any other PFF analyst and say, is this a plus 0.5 to you or a zero? Is this a plus 0.5 or a one? And we're kind of speaking the same language. So anything that gets a plus one, or better, one, 1.5, or a two, we just kind of eye through into this big time throw bucket, and I think it's a great name, BTTs, um, to isolate those those plays. So the example of, say, an 11-yard throw, uh, or 11-yard first down on first and 10, early in the game versus late in the game, almost always like the same throw will get a 0.5. Every now and again, we, we do have the ability to kind of like up the ante on a um, you know late game clincher or something like that. The best example is the Eli Manning to Mario Manningham, Super Bowl pass along the sideline, in between double coverage, right on his hands, on the game-winning drive. Like, that was a plus two. That was as right. good of a throw as we've ever seen. Um, but so the, anything that's plus one or better. But the down and distance thing is kind of baked into the original grade. You know, so a first and ten throw versus a third and ten throw that moves the chains is not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Like, the, the that part of it, the down and distance and the, the importance of moving the chains – is sort of baked into the original number, number, and then there is scope for the Mario Manninghams of insane game situation to bump that even higher. Um, the, the other example I'll use here, too, is so the window of the pass matters. And it doesn't mean we're, like, encouraging quarterbacks to throw the ball into double coverage, but I think the way to look at it, so Kirk Cousins had, a, even though he didn't have a great overall game on Sunday, his touchdown, uh, one of his touchdowns to Adam Thielen was fourth and two, back of the end zone, there was there were underneath defenders. There was a defender on Thielen. He throws it up and away from coverage. To, that was a, a shorter big time throw. So you might see more big time throws in the 10, 11, 12 yard range, even even a little bit shorter, in the red zone because the window is so tight. And we'll and we'll bump those up a little bit. But I think one of the ways to describe it, it's um, it's it's great timing, accuracy, general ball location, and and uh, so everything is generally pretty good there. And the other way to describe it is it gives you the opportunity for a big play. So because we're grading every player on every play, there is a difference between, say, there's a busted coverage and you throw the ball 40 yards up in the air to a wide open guy, right? Good job recognizing the busted coverage and all that stuff, but like the defense gave that to you. That might just be a .5 for us. If you throw the ball 40 yards in the air and it's over the corner and it's before the safety gets there and you put it right on the hands of the receiver who maybe didn't separate all that great or... Uh, the defense didn't blow it and give you this great opportunity. You're essentially creating this opportunity. You're as a quarterback, you're creating this big play opportunity for your team. Therefore, it's better. Um, so it'll get a higher grade. Um, so great timing, accuracy down the field. They're generally going to be 15 plus yard passes, and the further you get, the more and, you'll get. And we're grading the process, not the results. So right. you know, a dropped pass at the end of a big time throw doesn't change the big time throw the big time throw will get graded that way even if his receiver drops it at the end and that's why so one of the questions here was you know are there any big time throws on turnover worthy plays so you know if the ball goes through the hands of a defensive back but is then caught by the receiver for a big play no because the process there is the throw was to a defensive back who then ended up right. conspiring not to catch it that would probably be a turnover worthy play you know barring any other mitigating circumstances the fact that the db screwed it up and it goes through and is caught by the receiver that's a really good play for the offense right it ends up um moving the chains it ends up being a big play and, and is massive for the team's chances of winning 
But the quarterback on that play was bad. He threw the ball to a defensive back who didn't catch it and should have been punished. And the reason we do that in terms of grading is because the process thing is the most predictive element. If you have a quarterback that's throwing the ball consistently to corners, even if they drop them 10 times in a row, the point is he's throwing it consistently to corners. And in the future, unless you give him a reason not to do that, he's going to keep throwing it to corners. And ultimately, that guy will be a bad quarterback. The fact that, you know, in, in a game of sample sizes like football, luck can kind of shine, lady luck can uh, shine her eye on a quarterback for a while and not punish him for bad plays doesn't change the fact that he's playing badly. Um, yeah, so, the, so yes, so you can have a big-time throw that becomes a turnover, um, but the definition big-time throw or turnover-worthy play is based off the process. It's based off right. the grade, not the result. And that's why uh, Brady on Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago was a good example, too. He threw an interception on a non-turnover-worthy play to Mike Evans on a screen, and then Brady's best pass of the game was a big-time throw to Prashad Perryman that he put on his hands in the end zone, and he drops it. Um, and again, I always try to reiterate, too, I think PFF, we're the only system that I think properly views those two plays. Um, QBR takes, you know, they, they acknowledge drops, but I think you still get a little bit of a downgrade for throwing that interception right. on a drop. And it acknowledges maybe Brashad Perryman drops the pass from Brady, but you're not getting the same exact credit as you would if he had caught it. We're giving the same exact credit no matter what happens at the end of the play, whether it's dropped or not. Um, so that's why EPA obviously doesn't account for that because that's just a broad, like Brady got horrible negative EPA for the interception that was completely Mike Evans' fault. So again, when you're attaching EPA to a player, I think, I think things get skewed, especially in really small sample sizes. Um, QBR is not accounting for it. None, no traditional stats, EPA, nothing's accounting for it, quite like the PFF grade. Um, some of the other questions about like third and eight and third and 10, a lot of it's just like when you hit a deep out, um, Joe Burrow had a deep out the other day, right? It was a layered deep out from the far hash. It was 15 yards and it was perfect on the sidelines to T Higgins. It was a pass. Again, it's not even really an open throw and Joe Burrow made it an open throw. We called that a big time throw because it's a deep out 15 yards. Another 15 yard deep out might be single coverage. The receiver creates a ton of separation. You just kind of throw it out there. It's catchable. It's not you know, right on him. And that might just be a .5. So it's kind of differentiating between how much the quarterback is contributing to the, to the production on a given play. Okay. Um, let's skip ahead to the next email. This one from Andrew Bowl. Uh, hi, guys. Question is, essentially, can the Packers continue to overcome the constant string of injuries they've been suffering? So far this season... Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Josh Myers, Rashawn Gary, Eric Stokes, Preston Smith, Kevin King, <laughs> Jair Alexander. Have he all legitimately missed, said whatever. <laughs> yeah. Have all missed games with injuries. Uh, Robert Tunyon, Whitney Merciless, Elton Jenkins are all out for the year. They haven't had David Bakhtiari yet and barely had Zadarius Smith with just 18 snaps in week one. At some point, do they reach a critical mass of injuries that they just can't overcome anymore? I mean, I think if you're talking about in the playoffs, yes, uh, it, it, it is an impressive effort. And I think that's why so many people are, a high, are high on Matt LaFleur as, as coach of the year. Um, on the other hand, I would say if you look at – so if, if you go up and down the Packers' most impressive wins, maybe the 49ers in week three, they win 30-28. to 28, But the 49ers, they weren't the same team back then, maybe right. that they are now. Uh, the Steelers team in week four, again – 
not one of the better teams in the world. I mean, the, 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 the Bengals win in week five, which was literally a play here and there in their favor. That, that ends up becoming a pretty good win. Of course, the Cardinals, a, de, a depleted Packers team, goes and beats the Cardinals. But even that was like, I mean, Kyler Murray threw a game-winning touchdown. The receiver just decided not to turn around and catch it in A.J. Green. I mean, that's, that is the fine line that has the Packers at 9-3 and three here and, and right up there, uh, right behind the Cardinals for the number one seed. Uh, the Seahawks, this was Russell Wilson's return from Mallet Finger, and they scored only 17 points in that particular game. They lose to the Vikings, and then, yeah, very impressive win against a Rams team that is uh, falling apart just a little bit. So I think overall I've been impressed with what the Packers have done. I do think when you do get when you get into a playoff situation though, and you got to play either teams at full strength or the Bucks or you know the Cowboys, whichever good team you're going to run into in the playoffs, I think it eventually it comes back to bite unless all these a lot of these guys come back healthy. Yeah, I mean, so three teams I think have been impressive this year in terms of navigating uh, real setbacks with injuries. I think the Packers are one of them. I think Arizona is another one dealing without their quarterback and without uh, their number one receiver for a stretch of games. And then Tennessee are the other one, and Tennessee, it's finally kind of catching up with them now. I think injuries, obviously, anytime you lose a ton of players, it's not good. But I think the real problems come when they're concentrated in one area. And if they're not, and if you look at Green Bay's, okay, they've had an absolute ton of them, but generally, they have been spread out. You know, they, they've, you lose Jair Alexander, you lose, um, you lose, Zadarius Smith, you lose David Bakhtiari. Like they have generally managed to avoid the kind of crippling injury uh, hits to one specific position, right? Like if they had lost um, Jair Alexander and then Eric Stokes and then Kevin King, and all of a sudden you're down to like number four at five as your starting cornerbacks, that's where you have a real problem. And at wide receiver, if they'd lost Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling Valdez and Alan Lazard, again, all of a sudden you're, you're screwed. The offensive line, they've gotten pretty close. Like they haven't had Bakhtiari all year. Elton Jenkins was doing really well at left tackle. Now he's down. They are down to like a third string at best left tackle and at least have held up well for a game. But that's the kind of thing where I think it can cause real problems over a period of time. And if they don't get David Bakhtiari back pretty quickly, that feels like the kind of thing that could actually derail their season. But other than that, I think they can actually keep weathering this as long as those injuries don't hit at the same spot. And the, the, the concern is now you're so thin, you don't have that buffer room anymore. So if one guy goes down at a position where one or two guys have already gone down, now you're back into that crisis mode. Like they are... They're one injury now, essentially, from that kind of crisis at any given position. And the, the offensive line injuries last year hurt the Packers in the conference championship game against the Bucs. They, they, they had Billy Turner forced to play left tackle, and uh, he got beat up a little bit. The run blocking wasn't great in that particular game. It did kind of catch up. I, I will say our preseason narrative, though, that they were so dependent on Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Jair Alexander, maybe they've— yeah. We could look at it from the other lens and say, okay, they have answered that problem, Absolutely. right? Because they've won games despite Aaron Rodgers. You know, they've won games because of him. They've won games despite him. They've won games with defense. I do love that. As a, when you watch a team win in different ways, I do feel much better about them going forward. The for sure. the Chiefs last year, I think, are a good example of 
where you just at some point reach critical mass when all the injuries are concentrated in one spot. Like, they, their offensive line had been banged up all season long. They'd been losing guys left, right, and center. Like week after week, another guy goes down. But it wasn't until they lost Eric Fisher in the conference championship game that was it. Like, that was the tipping point. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And all of a sudden, you get to the Super Bowl, and it's like, wow, the Chiefs have the worst offensive line in the NFL. Well, they only have one player different than it was a week ago or two weeks ago, rather. You know what I mean? But that was the one. That was the, the final straw too far or the bridge too far for this line to keep functioning. Green Bay is – they've had a lot of injuries along the offensive line, but I, they've just about patched it together at this point. But I would say they are like one or – they're an injury away from maybe that offensive line completely collapsing. We have some other uh, smart questions coming through in the YouTube chat, more about our, our grading system and everything. The one question about considering ball placement on yards after the catch and or you know fueling yards after the catch i would say through the years i think we've learned that yards after the catch after the catch are mostly mostly a product of how open the receiver is so it's more the receiver versus the defense um the ball location does matter it absolutely does it shows up in our qb and our throw and our accuracy grades um, so we do actually have accuracy that says he put this on the front number, he put it on the back shoulder, he put it on this frame. And also, we do consider all that. It, and it does show up in the grading as well, if depending on the severity. So, right. you know, a a the difference in ball location between like right here, perfectly out in, you know, in, on your hands, slightly out in front of you, exactly where you want it for, 100% optimal yards after the catch, and a pass that's like here, you know, a foot and a half behind you that's not ideal but is perfectly catchable that's not going to change your grade but if the difference between like the perfect pass and the one that makes you stop and like you know check your your run and have to go back and get it and it's still technically catchable it still technically moves the chains but it a hundred percent cost you 10 yards after the catch that will change the grade on the throw and we will we will downgrade both the quarterback and the receiver sometimes on a drop, say, you know, an inaccurate pass that's dropped that should still be caught. We can dock the receiver. We could also dock the quarterback. All I'll say is um, I think the, the grading is very intelligent when it comes to that. Like we have we have leeway to make those adjustments. The key is consistency, though, is right. to try to is to try to um, if you turn on the tape in week one versus week 12 or back in 2014 saying here's this. 0.5, here's, here are 0.5 throws from 10 to 19 yards. They'll all kind of like look similar, right? Um, and then there's also other adjustments that happen based off of difficulty and, um, you know, to normalize things and, and kind of set it up against expectations. So I think it is uh, a pretty smart grading system, and that's why it's been shown to be the most consistent, especially when it comes to quarterback play, offensive line play, and a whole bunch of other areas. So. That's my pitch right there. Nice. Which makes me also say, go Cyber 40 right now. Go get your 40% off for all these grades and stats, which are really smart and intelligent, Sam. 40% off anything over at pff.com. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want to come across defensive or anything. I'm just trying to say we do a good, <laughs> we do a good job, I think, in the, in the grading, describing what happened on the field. Yeah. The, so people have used, like, touchdown to interception ratio for years. Big time throw to turnover worthy plays is just it's a proxy for that and it's a much more nuanced and accurate version because you are stripping out all those plays where you know, somebody asked this and honestly it's something we should probably do. Like the idea of why do we not have a statistic that's like uh non quarterback fault interceptions? You know what I mean? And we do kind of like indirectly we can come up with that number, but that should just be a number. Like yeah. quarterback like Tom Brady Nine interceptions, three 
non-quarterback interceptions yeah. or whatever. We should have that nailed somewhere. But, yeah, it wouldn't be bad to have it directly next to it right. just to give that context. So he threw nine, and there's two drops, there's a Hail Mary, there's whatever in yeah, there, yeah. and you deduct those. But the point is, the big-time throws and the turnover-worthy plays, they kind of strip out those noisy plays that are not on the quarterback, and they add back in a bunch that were on the quarterback and aren't necessarily counted by those box score numbers. So I think they're a much better way of looking at it than the touchdown to interception number, which everyone kind of has used for years as the, the way of measuring how good, how well the guy is playing. Anyway, that's all, all good stuff. 40% so, off over yeah. at PFF.com. So 40% yeah. off. Big time throw to turnover-worthy play ratio, I think, is a, is, is a great uh, – yeah, I think it's way, the way you said it, better than <laughs> touchdown-interception ratio. I'm trying to agree with you here. Yeah, nice. What's, the, uh, what's Thursday Night Football this, this week? Cowboys Saints. Okay. We've got uh, Mike McCarthy and COVID protocol. As we were – we're breaking news here on the show. As we've been live. Yeah? Yeah. As we're live here on YouTube, where you can give us that thumbs up. Uh, Amari Cooper's been activated from the COVID list for the Dallas Cowboys. But he's still coughing, so he might not play. Well, coughing was yesterday. Now he's been activated, so I don't know. Either way, he's been activated for whatever reason. And uh, I don't know. Amari (laughs) Cooper might be back. That's good for the Cowboys. Yeah. If he is. Uh, Presumably, CeeDee Lamb will be back this week. We'll see. Yes, that would be hopeful, rather than spending the next five minutes talking about him and then him not showing. Uh, what's Greenline looking at? I haven't looked at the uh, the number just yet. Funny you should ask, Stephen. Greenline has a significant edge towards the New Orleans Saints versus the, the betting line. So the Saints line, are getting four and a half at yes, home here. Yes, the line is four and a half. Greenline thinks it is significantly closer than that. Um, and then, that's one of the larger edges I've seen, actually, this season for Greenline. And then Sean Payton is just trying to play, like, episodic TV producer here who's your uh who's your starting quarterback we'll see might be Taysom Hill this time we'll see it might be Taysom Hill could be Trevor Simeon we don't know who the starting quarterback will be for the New Orleans Saints so you got to tune in Monday night 820 on Fox and NFL Network find out who is the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints Taysom Hill or Trevor I won't even say the names because that's not going to entice people no 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 but uh we'll find out who the starting quarterback could could be Drew Brees I could what if it's Drew Brees Sure. Who would be better? Drew Brees straight out of the uh, <laughs> booth, Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill? What's the best option? It's a real question, isn't or it? Or Jameis on one leg. Not Jameis on one leg. He needs, He's fourth. He needs two legs to be able to like fling himself backwards to throw the ball. Or Jameis. Um, it's not a bad question, though. Like, Is Drew Brees straight out of the announcer's booth? Presumably has to remove the hair that they gave him. He can play with um, the hair on. You can't play with that on it. Did Jason Witten keep the hair when he no, went back to play? No, when play, Jason Witten went back, like it was immediately back to cue ball. You can't, yeah. you can't rock the tube under the helmet. Yeah, but he's like in the trenches. He's blocking and all that stuff. Drew's a he's a quarterback. They're you think close. it'll stay cool, calm, and collected under the helmet? Those things like yeah, it would be rough, rough for the the post game. You've seen like yeah, Manning takes his helmet off, and there's those like big you know red circles on his head when that thing pushes into his fort. Like true, you can't rock a toupee under that. Then he throws it back on, back in the For booth. the interview? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, it's Who's a real question. Like, if he, if he showed up tomorrow and was like, I can sh- I, coach, put me in, I can play, would he be better than the options that they currently have? I mean, Drew wasn't very good last year. Right. But I think his grade was low 70s, which is, is what we've seen from Taysom Hill. <laughs> which was like the good version of, of Trevor Simeon. We're right. like, hey, look, Trevor Simeon's actually playing really well right now. That was like bad breeze. Right. Um, so 
let's uh, let's preview with Taysom Hill. Let's preview with Trevor Simeon, and then we'll just cut it based off whatever. Uh... So Trevor Simeon's the starting quarterback. What are we expecting here? He's kind of come back down to earth in recent weeks here. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we saw we saw on Thanksgiving that the Trevor Simeon gravy train probably ran out of wheels at this point, and like this is who we're dealing with. Now that you uh, quoted Mr. T. Clubber Lang here, uh-huh. um, the great Clubber Lang, your your big idea for us to have a you know, little side podcast someday and kind of go back and review '80s movies and all hmm. that stuff, which turns out basically the, the Bill Simmons already does. Oh, he already the rewatchables. Does that. Oh. Now we could do it with other things. It doesn't have to be yeah. movies, but you know we could expand it to a different. Also. They're like the people that he has on that podcast are very. Um, what's the polite way of saying this? They are academic in terms of like movie structure. You know what I mean? Like they're commenting. No, on, that's not what we're worried on about. Form and lighting and cinematography. Whereas I'm like, they unfurled a giant Ivan Drago poster in front of like a hundred people that were sitting in a seat, and that feels yeah. like a problem. <laughs> Like, I think it's a lot less, you know. You're going to pick apart the logic here. Yeah, the, the logic, logic of, and the idiot stuff, not the yeah. like actual filmmaking. So I, again, I'm not trying to get this off the rails because we're up against it. We're up against it. We got a time limit on Wednesdays. Okay, not really. We're, so we're open ended. What was the point you were making? You you said you saw the director's cut of Rocky Four last night. I you know, did. Should that be its own? Would anybody listen to our the own uh, to an episode of Steve and Sam breaking down the Rocky Four director's cut, the real Rocky Four, whatever? You know, yeah. it's a historical movie. Well, the original is. The director's cut is, is a waste of somebody's, like a year of somebody's life. Oh, no. Did the director's cut, would, would that have also ended And remember, the, the director War? is Sly, right? So yeah. at some point, bored out of right. his gourd, Sly just decided to go back and remake Rocky IV in a Bill, studio somewhere. Bill Simmons does a really good job of, of connecting, you know, you know, current events, old events, and all that stuff, and, and making, you know, making it entertaining and all that stuff. Uh-huh. He may have been the one that said originally that Rocky was the one who uh, ended the Cold War. With the with the Soviets, I think that was yeah. initially him. You know, got the ball rolling back in 1985. By 1989, the, the wall fell, and the whole thing, you know, the whole thing crumbled. That was the first domino. Absolutely was okay. when Rocky goes over there. I mean, Christmas night, well, Christmas the, night in Moscow. The whole Politburo stood up and applauded him. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you can. I mean, Rocky. Rock, it's no coincidence that within four years, within four the USSR, years. The USSR was was no longer USSR. Yeah, yeah. Or within six years, whatever the yeah. Exact I mean, time you know. Was. Not to spoiler it or anything, but if you really like the original, I, I, I wouldn't recommend watching the uh, director's oh, cut. Man. 40 minutes of Sad. new footage, apparently, but it's the same length, so they stripped out 40 minutes of the original movie, and the original movie was okay. So why did nah, not just uh, leave it alone? Go find something else to meddle with. Well, that's you know, sad. Find sad a crappy movie that nobody cares about. Fix that one. Just trying to figure out if people would uh, be entertained by us going back and picking apart Arnold movies and all that stuff. Arnie movies. Somebody liked the uh, the Commando reference from the other day. Yeah. 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 I mean, some of his one-liners are just absolutely incredible. Particularly in Commando. I mean, that movie's... Yeah. That's some high-level stuff right there. Anyway, just throwing that out there. No no more spoilers on the uh, director's cut with Rocky Four, other than sounds sounds a little disappointing. They did keep in the uh, No Easy Way Out montage, though. Yeah, that's if, good. If that hadn't showed up, I'd have switched it off right there. No, that, it's iconic, man. It is iconic. Uh, and I wonder if Pauly got to see the Rose Bowl game. He was real worried about seeing the Rose Bowl mm. when he was out in Moscow in the snow. Uh, anyway, back to the Saints. I don't know how we got off on that, but it's my fault. Off on that tangent. Saints, quarterback. What, do, what would you expect with, from Taysom Hill at quarterback? What did we see from Taysom Hill last year when he was the starter? 
Um, I think you see a quarterback that is capable of taking short underneath passes that are fairly well schemed up with, you know, the threat of his rush, the threat he brings on the ground, RPOs, those kinds of things, um, and is critically unable to hit a deep ball. Now, I don't think it's because he doesn't have an arm. Like, Taysom Hill can throw the ball a requisite amount of, of distance to hit the deep ball, but he puts the ball in the air about two seconds after it needs to be, so it doesn't matter how strong his arm is. Like, unless it's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, which it isn't, he's going to be underthrowing those deep balls, and that's a problem, particularly when you have receivers that are not amazing like the Saints. So I, I think he's the best option that the Saints have right now. He gives you the best combination of being able to create an offense that's awkward enough to defend and different enough that most defenses are not used to dealing with it. And he is a really good runner. Like, he's got... Uh, genuine skills with the ball in his hands, particularly when, like last year, he didn't have the best grade in the world in terms of running because he kept fumbling the damn ball. Like, if right. he can figure that out and just wrap it up and not lose control of it, that moves him on a huge amount. If he can then add, if he can figure out how to put the ball in the air early enough when he's throwing deep, massive, like, ability. But, you know, I wouldn't have high expectations, but I think it's at least, if you're going to have a substandard, relatively crappy quarterback, at least make one that's difficult and a pain in the ass to defend. Nobody is concerned about Trevor Simeon, which is the biggest problem right now. He might be able to play slightly better than Taysom Hill, but not in a way that actually concerns a defense or causes them any kind of sleepless nights over the week planning for it. Taysom Hill, whatever you think about how good he is, is at least a pain in the ass to game plan for. And that, I think there's merit to that. Yeah, I mean he is a he's good in the design running game. He's good, you know. You just you can run QB power and counter and all that stuff. You also have injuries up front too, which also hurts, right? Having uh, Ryan Ramchak and Teron Armstead, the, the best tackle tandem in the NFL, they're both banged up. We'll see if they can go, but that also hurts as well because this if it was Taysom and you have this pretty good run blocking offensive line, you build the scheme around him and all that stuff. Um, you mentioned all the fumbles and everything, and I think this has shown up with Lamar Jackson through the years as well. Dynamic runner. But there are a lot of fumbles that show up. Not necessarily all even Lamar's fault, but you get, a, you get mesh point fumbles. You get some that are Lamar's fault. That is where maybe EPA would be a good proxy for uh, how much do you want to have a run-first system with the quarterback? Because if you know, the fumbles will you know, essentially give you a good idea of just how effective the run game is as a whole. Um, but anyway, I think what happens with those guys, I, with a Taysom, he doesn't have to be a precision passer. Like, Trevor Simeon has to be a precision passer to move the ball, right. whereas Taysom Hill can, can affect the game on the ground, create more open throws, like you said, because it's not just pl- it's play action where you also have to account for the quarterback, right? So you have to account for two people on play action, a running back and a quarterback, not just the running back when it's Trevor Simeon. So I think it opens up what the Saints' offense, offensive potential is. Not that they can't have ugly games, with Taysom, but the high end, it's a higher end offense, I think, um, and and really higher floor just because of the run game. That's the thing. Opponent. I think the the floor is higher, the ceiling is higher, and the baseline is probably about the same. But you you have a wider range of outcomes. Um, you have a sorry, the range of outcomes is about the same. But I think in every kind of in every step of the way, the 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 band is tighter, like with with uh, Trevor Simeon, a quarterback. Like you're going to get this fairly middle of the road, average to below average performance from him, and there's not much scope for anything else happening. With Taysom Hill, 
you shouldn't be terrible because he can bring a pretty high baseline with that run threat. He can complete the short passes. Um, there's the potential that you have something way better if he connects on all those things that he misses on, doesn't fumble the ball. And then it's just a case of what is your average performance going to be like? And again, like the average, like what is the benefit of Trevor Simeon? And the one argument is, well, if you combine Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill, you have something greater. But they haven't even been using Taysom Hill like that since he's come back from injury. So you're not getting the benefit of that. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's really the case because you still have Trevor Simeon under center for a much, you know, most of the game. It's still him under center. Yeah. And it's not like every time Taysom Hill's playing H-back or tight end or running back or whatever that it's a productive play for the offense. On the other side, we got Dak Prescott with a career-high 85.9 PFF grade. His, uh, his rushing grade is low in part, again, because of his fumbles. He's had a bunch of turnover-worthy plays uh, when carrying the ball this year, but continues to progress as a passer. Uh, started off slow in the Thanksgiving game against the Raiders, started to get it going down the stretch, hitting some uh, deep balls to Michael Gallup, seam route to Dalton Schultz. Dak, though, is, has been one of the better quarterbacks in the league this year. So uh, I like Dallas because of that, especially if Amari Cooper comes back, even if it is in, uh, in a limited sample. I think the Saints... They just have uh, at home dome and all that stuff. They did just get, they just got wrecked there though by the Bills, right? Yeah. So I don't want to overrate that home field advantage and all that. I think Dallas is just a better overall team, and things are starting to crumble in New Orleans because they're just they're just outmanned from the quarterback position out. They are. Um, their offensive line has got some problems as well. I do think though that Dallas, like as much as they kind of got going towards the end, but the first few. The first couple of quarters, the first three quarters, really, of that game, Dak was not playing particularly well. I know. And he fell off. And I think there are some issues there with Dallas that they haven't necessarily – they're not as hot as they were earlier in the season. Um, and I think the Saints could cause them some problems. So I'm going to lean the Saints to cover this. So you get the Saints covering. It's four and a half at the moment here, Wednesday afternoon, heading into uh, Thursday night football. I'll take the Cowboys to cover. So throw that on, throw that on the sheet. I'll take the Cowboys – uh, they've got four losses. If they do ever want to get into it's going to be tough to get the number one seed at this point. But um, these games matter for, for the Cowboys, not only for that, but just, as you said, for the division. The football Washington's team. coming. Well, football team is on their heels. And we thought the Eagles were too before they, yeah, before they lost to the, uh, the Giants. That's the thing about this division, right, is that as much as you're sort of writing it down, penciling in these games of they'll win these two, like you're going to have games like that where randomly the Giants show up and beat a team they're not supposed to and just wreck the whole thing for everybody. All right. Anything else to cover? No. Today? We out. All right. Great Wednesday show. Appreciate everybody tuning in, either live on YouTube or in podcast land. Again, we'll be back on Thursday previewing all of the week 13 NFL action. Don't forget, pff.com, 40% off. Use Cyber 40. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow.